Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the episode of the Born to Talk radio show. And this show is featuring a longtime friend, Dean Smith. Welcome to the show, Dean. Hi, Marcia. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. And for all of you sports people out there, not that Dean Smith. This is my neighbor, Dean Smith, not the, not the sports person, Dean Smith. Right, Dean? Does that happen to you sometimes? That's, that's correct. I was a terrible basketball player. Yes, that's, that's pretty funny. Well, I want, the, I want our listeners to just know something about us because our families have known each other for over 40 years because our boys are the same age. Yeah, they're they're getting older. And and our daughters are actually very close to the same age as well. But this isn't a show about families. This is really a show about you, Dean. And I'm I'm so delighted to have you on the show because frankly, as long as I've known you in preparation for this show, I have learned things about you that I really honestly didn't know. So I want our our listeners to know what our focus is going to be today, which is your involvement in the organizations and interests related to the Civil War. We're going to be speaking specifically about three of those organizations today. They are the Los Angeles Civil War Roundtable, Sons of the Union Veterans of the Civil War, including General W.S. Rosecrans, Camp Number 2, and the Drum Barracks Civil War Museum. That's a lot to cover because you are really the supreme volunteer. But before we get started with that, why don't you just, other than the fact that now I've told people that we know each other, just tell everybody just a little bit about your background before we get into what it is that we're going to be speaking about today. Okay, very very briefly, I was born and raised here in Los Angeles. I went to public schools. I went to UC Riverside and got a master's degree in political science. I had a 34-year career with the County of Los Angeles as a public administrator. I'm very proud to have been a public servant. Uh, I was also a leader in the Indian Guide and Indian Princess program at our local Y, as you know, and I campaigned with you on for the Y for 20 years. Um, Thank you. I served on the board of directors for the Y. Uh, I also refereed AYSO soccer for 20 years. I served on a local planning advisory committee for a city councilwoman. So I've kind of got a long history of, of service, and that's part of what this is all about. You bet. And you know something, Dean? Here's what just occurred to me. Not only are um, our sons, Joshua and David, have known each other. I think they met in junior high. They went to two different elementary schools. Joshua was on my show probably more than three years ago when he went 
with the Loyola EMBA program um, and traveled overseas, and, and I went with him and your daughter-in-law. So we have we have multiple crossovers in our in our lives together in our community, and I I do really love that. But what I'm really interested in knowing is because we're going to be speaking about the Civil War, how did you get interested in the Civil War relatively late in your life? Oh. Quite honestly, I was never interested in the Civil War early in my life, and uh, I had to travel to Washington, D.C. for business uh, with the county, and one year my wife was able to go with me, and we took a trip down to Virginia after my meetings were over and visited Fredericksburg Battlefield in Chancellorsville, and I talked to some uh, rangers there at Chancellorsville, and the guy got out the maps and showed me all about this battle, and I was hooked. I mean, you know, it's it just, but I'm still not an expert. I'm still not even a Civil War buff. Um, I read mostly historic novels because I find that the fiction is just more interesting, but I've also learned that it's truer than a lot of the histories of the Civil War, which are based on memoirs of the generals. Generals often wrote those histories 10 to 20 years after the war, mostly to praise themselves and degrade others. Uh, so you got to take them with a grain of salt. Um, there's a, a novel about Gettysburg, and in that you learn that once the soldiers got there, there were only 800 people in the town, but there were about 90,000 Union soldiers and 60,000 Confederates descended on this little community. They all went to the local farm well to take water in their canteens, and the first day all the water in Gettysburg was gone. The water table was drained, and those guys fought in a 100-degree temperature for three days without water. Those are the things you don't learn in a history book, but you get out of out of a novel. So that's, that's, that's kind of it. That, that's really interesting, Dean. And... I guess a, a question that comes to my mind, and maybe as we as we move through this show, people will be wondering the same thing. But I'll, I'll just ask it now. Um, did did you have of any family members, descendants that fought in the Civil War? Yes, uh, uh, my great great grandfather George Washington Ballou, who was a farmer in Iowa, enlisted when he was 32. He left his wife Martha. George Washington married Martha, <laughs> went off to fight, uh, and managed to survive the first two years of the war without even being in a battle. But in his first battle, he was killed in uh, Louisiana. And so I don't know much about him. I don't know where he's buried. I don't have any diaries or letters or even a picture. I don't know know much about him. I went to George Washington High School. He was born on October 28th. 1830, and I was born on October 28, 1946. So all kind of oh, coincidences. No kidding, Dean. Yep. It's, and and that's mother's side or father's side. Uh, my father's mother. That's the the Your father's mother. Also, you'll learn the, later. Uh, President Garfield's mother was Eliza Ballou, so I'm a distant relative of. President Garfield as well. Oh and he fought gosh, in the Civil Dean. War. 
Wow. We're going to learn all kinds of things. I hope our Westchester friends are listening. I'm just saying right now because I have a feeling that they're going to be learning things about you, just like me, that, that I didn't know about. That's, that, that whole George Washington thing is, is pretty remarkable. And I don't know why I didn't remember how close our birth dates were located to one another, except not the same year. All right. That being said, let's, let's sort of focus on these three elements that I mentioned at the top of the show. And let's start with the Los Angeles Civil War Roundtable. And I'm going to say this now, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll include it as we go through. As people are listening, if they would like to, all of these um, subjects of these organizations, you all have your own websites. This one happens to be LAC, like Charles, WRT.org. And that would be one way for people to um, visit your website. But what I'd like to start with is what exactly is the Civil War Roundtable? I I don't know what that is. Very simply, it's just a group of people that meet once a month. Ours meets 10 times a year. We take July and August off. And we have a a guest speaker come and do about a one-hour presentation on some topic related to the Civil War. Uh, often there are a lot of things that most of us don't know, even though a lot of us have done a lot of study on the war, so it's always interesting and often entertaining. Uh, our, our Civil War table, around table, is dedicated to the study and preservation of our Civil War heritage. It's that simple. It was founded in 1977, but Civil War interest kind of goes up and down over time, so by the 1990s, it dropped down to about five members, and then it got revived. I can't honestly tell you when I joined, but it was in the early 2000s, I guess. And um, I I found it by uh, – I saw an ad in the Argonaut newspaper, and I called the number there, and the guy talked to me and said I didn't need to be an expert. Just come on down, and that's how I got into the roundtable. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting, Dean. And not only are you in it, as they say, you're in it to win it, you are the president of that organization, right? How long have you been the president? Uh, seven years now. And what, are your, what, what, what do you do? How, is that a lot of work for you? Uh, yeah, well, I made it a lot of work. The former president <laughs> had been in place for 17 years. He was also the treasurer. He was getting old, and he had health issues, so he said he had to step down, and he asked me to take the place, his place, and I said, well, okay, but only for one year. And um, I really didn't want to see the roundtable die for lack of leadership, so it was kind of a selfish thing. I still wanted to go to the meetings and listen to the speakers. Um, I knew I could do a better job than he had done, but I can't do a job halfway, so, you know, I started preparing agendas, and he didn't keep any books, so I did financial reporting and and uh, sending out a president's message every month with a lot of information in it. I looked up stuff to provide content for our website. I kept a roster of our members, and I put out notices in newspapers. I mean, I made it a lot more work maybe than it needed to be, bad thing is now they they say I'm going to be president for life 
<laughs> and nobody will step up to take the take the job. Uh, and I ask every year to go for somebody to step up, but it hasn't happened yet. And you're a volunteer in this, is, I presume, right? This uh, is a volunteer position? Oh, absolutely. I pay my dues just yeah. like everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's funny, Dean, I'm thinking about how Charlene and I, you know, grew up in volunteerism between PTA and Scouts and all the things that she and I did together as moms in this community. And one of the things that we did when we were, because we were both PTA presidents too, is there was always a VP. So in your organization, do you not have a VP that's sort of in training that could perhaps co-president with you or take some of that, some of that responsibility off for you? Um, The bylaws have, two uh, VPs. One of them we filled with the old president as an honorarium mm-hmm. to him of sorts. He doesn't attend meetings anymore. And uh, the second one is kind of our, he was trying to do publicity for us. Uh, he travels a lot and he he's consistently refused any other kind of volunteer work for us. But he's very helpful and he does a couple of presentations every year to help fill out our schedule so uh, I don't want to push him away (laughs) exactly well then how do you go about recruiting new members you saw it in the Argonaut how how do you how do you get out there and and encourage people to join it's really really hard because they have to have some kind of an interest in the first place Um, so we depend on our members bringing in new friends or family Uh, like I said I've put things in the local newspapers to put in their calendar sections. I haven't had much luck with that. I've posted it on next door. I actually mm-hmm. had a few people show up from that, but they never came back to a second meeting. So I guess they weren't interested after all. Um, we've put flyers in public libraries and schools and that didn't work. Um, our website has actually been responsible for bringing us the most new members, people, Google Civil War and they find roundtables and they go, hey, you know, maybe I'll go down there and try this out. Well, I think that's a really good idea. And I imagine that, like you said, our history buffs, you you weren't particularly interested in the Civil War you mentioned until later in life. Uh, And then you found all these crossovers, which is pretty fascinating. But um, it sounds to me like you, you do these presentations you you yourself have given a number of presentations about the Civil War. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, actually, I, I didn't have that intent when I started, but I went to the 150th anniversary reenactment of the Battle of Pleasant Hill where my great-great-grandfather died in 1864. Down, uh, it's actually fought on the actual battlefield, so it was pretty neat. And I took a lot of photos and I videotaped the reenactment, planning to make a presentation about it, which I eventually did. It took quite a while to put it all together. I did a lot of research, and it turned out I expanded the the presentation to cover the Red River campaign, which the battle was part of because it was a really interesting story, one that most people who study the war don't know because it was in the West. You know, everybody knows about Virginia and Gettysburg, but they don't know about the war west of the Mississippi. What was interesting and about th- that particular location, uh, Dean, excuse my interruption, 
What made it so unusual? Well, it was the largest battle fought west of the Mississippi. There were 44 Union, 44,000 Union soldiers there and about 35 Confederate thousand confederates so it was a a big battle a lot of guys died but there was no consequence to any of it the general in charge was nathaniel banks who was a political appointee he'd been governor of massachusetts and he wanted to be president so lincoln sent him as far away from washington as he could (laughs) and he was just a terrible general he got my great-great-grandfather killed so (laughs) he's the worst general in the war for me Yes. Wow. That's that's then fascinating. Go ahead. I I started doing presentations for Charlene's PEO chapter and they invited me to talk um mostly about my work, but one day they needed a a speaker cuz somebody had canceled and I said, "Oh, I just heard about this thing called the Sanitary Commission out at one of our roundtable meetings, and it's all about women. So I, I try and talk to the PTO about things related to women. So I put together that that's, um, presentation. I've given that at some other roundtables. And, and from that, I decided to do one on Rosecrans after I joined the Sons of Union Veterans because I didn't know anything about him, and I was contacted by an author of a new book about Rosecrans. And... I kind of used that as the basis for my presentation on him. Doing that research, I learned that James Garfield um, was a union general that nobody knows, and he was chief of staff to Rosecrans. And so I made a presentation about him. I'm, in fact, giving that one um, out in the valley uh, Wednesday night to a roundtable out there, and then again in August uh, to the Orange County Roundtable. So uh, that 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 takes me to another thought that comes to my mind, because you just mentioned two different. Do you call yourselves chapters? How, how well, or, or I don't know how you're the LA uh, Roundtable. Then there's roundtables in other parts of the city. Is that is that correct? In Southern California, there's the uh, Orange County Roundtable, which meets in Costa Mesa, the Pasadena Roundtable, which meets in Pasadena, Civil Warriors Roundtable, which is what I'm going to on Wednesday. It's out in Sherman Oaks. And then the Inland Empire Civil War Roundtable meets out in Redlands at the Lincoln Shrine. And I've spoken at all of those. I've also spoken at Sons of America Revolution meetings and Daughters of Union Veterans Meetings, and I even did some brief presentations at a, before a play out in Sierra Madre that was about the Civil War. So, oh, that's interesting. So, yes, but you know what? So that so what's interesting about that to me is that we both know that while we we could practically walk to each other's homes right now. I mean, not practically, we could. But but not everybody lives as close to each other as you and I do. And people are listening from all over the country. And if somebody is listening, you know, in the middle of the country or northern California or wherever they're living, um, and how would would they be able to find a Civil War roundtable somewhere near where they would live as well? Yes, yes, they could. There's, if, I think if you just Google Civil War roundtables, you'll get a list. A list 
They're they're all over the United States. There's some in England, I think Australia. It turns out that people from other countries came and fought in the Civil War for whatever reason and then went back home. So there's descendants there now that that are descended from Civil War veterans and they have an interest in the war. Historically, they're just interested. It was one of the most compelling stories, you know, in the history of the world, really. Were you surprised? Because, I mean, I'm proud of myself for not just interrupting you because I felt myself wanting to do that. Did, were you surprised that there were um, other countries that have have taken up the, the cause of, of charge or interest, whatever word, of having a Civil War roundtable? That seems that surprises me. It, it goes further. Even in England, they have reenactments. People reenact Union and Confederate soldiers, and they they have reenactments. In Brazil, there's a Confederate colony called Americana. It's a whole town, and every year the people dress up in uniforms, and they have this big Civil War Civil War celebration down there. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a hmm. interesting phenomenon. It certainly is. Well, let's 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 go to our our next subject so that I I make sure that you have ample time to talk about all of this and I'm sure I will continue to have a lot of questions. So, we've just talked about the Civil War Roundtable and you are the president of that and you are a presenter of that. And I'll make sure that that the links that I, that we're talking about will will definitely be included. Uh, on the blog that will appear um, on my website and then social media as well. So now let's talk about the Sons of Union Veterans of the Civil War. And maybe we could start briefly about, you know, I've heard of, of the Daughters of the American Revolution. One of my neighbors was, was a member of that. And I know you have to be a descendant of an American soldier who fought against the British in our Revolutionary War, are the sons of the Union veterans of the Civil War, are they, is, that, is that similar for them as well? Yes. Um, the Sons of Union veterans is a lineage organization. Like I said, I had a great-great-grandfather who was a Union soldier. I had to provide copies of his enlistment papers and um, evidence that he was either discharged honorably or died in battle to join, um, and then I had to show how I was connected to him genealogically. It's not as difficult as getting in the DAR or the Sons of the American Revolution. That's much more difficult, but this is fairly simple, and if you want to join because you just want to be a member, you can be an associate member and not have to have be a descendant of a soldier. Some members join because they know they've got a guy, but they can't prove it, and they haven't found the documentation. Um, And then boys between the ages of 6 and 14 can join as junior members. So uh, there's a lot of... Oh, and beyond that, women can be in our auxiliary, and they don't have to be a descendant of a union veteran. They just have to want to... Uh, support our organization and be in the fellowship of other women who like doing the same thing. Although oh, most of them are wives really interesting. of the guys. Okay. Yeah. So, so don't let the works. word sons don't let the word sons throw you off if this is something that you're interested in. You don't have to be if you want to be in the auxiliary, not not 
yeah. you know, that's that's the that's the clarification. Is that right? Well, that's just for the women, but men can join the the sons part as a um, associate member. So associate, they, that's I, what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh. and the auxiliary is a women's organization. I see. And then there's and, also uh, daughters. There's yeah. the daughters of union veterans, and there you have to have lineage. So they're okay. Um, a kind of a, an associated uh, organization. We do a lot oh, of that's, stuff that's, together with them. That's really, really interesting. So tell us a little bit about what the objectives are for your organization. Okay, well, it's pretty simple. I just took it out of our national constitution. Uh, we have a national organization, then we're divided up into departments. I can't tell you how many camps there are in the country, but it's hundreds. And then there's over 6,000 members nationally. Um, so our purpose is uh, to perpetuate the memory of the Grand Army of the Republic and of the men who served uh, the Union from April 12, 1861 to April 9, 1865, and to assist in every practicable way in the preservation and making available for research of documents and records pertaining to the Grand Army of the Republic and its members, and to cooperate in doing honor to all who, all who have patriot, patriotically served our country in any war, and then we like to teach patriotism and the duties of citizenship, the true history of our country, and the love and honor of our flag. Uh, we oppose every tendency or movement that would weaken loyalty to or make for the destruction and impairment of our constitutional union and so on. So we're all about patriotism and honoring the history of the Grand Army of the Republic was actually formed by the Union soldiers who survived the war. There were over between four and 500,000 members at one time. Um, if you were not supported by them politically, you could not win office. You couldn't be President of the United States unless the G, uh, GAR supported you. They were very, very powerful. Uh, they were the ones that started Memorial Day, and that's something that we're really proud of. I have to tell you, Dean, I, I'm really, I, I feel like I'm getting a really one-on-one um, -on -one history lesson from you, and I'm going to admit to what I don't know and didn't know. I, I honestly didn't know there was a term called the Grand Army of the Republic. Is that what it's called? Did I write? Did, did I get that yep. correctly? The G R, yes. the Grand Army of the Republic, and it started. When when did it when did it Begin was that in 1866. Oh, 18, after okay. 66, right mm -hmm. after the war, they also saw that there was a need to have. Uh, I mean, the United States was not prepared for war, so they kind of formed a um, reserve army, if you will. They they wore uniforms, they had bands, they paraded, and they did all kinds of kind of quasi-military stuff. Although they were uh, a fraternal organization like the Masons. Uh, a lot of them served in the Spanish-American War. Some even served in World War One. So uh, they're pretty amazing people. No kidding. That's 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 really interesting. And 
and I'm sure that the the more you got involved, what what year did you find yourself being drawn into this? Was it 1977? No, no, no was, that's not uh, right. What am I thinking about? No, it was more like 2012. I joined, and I thought I was joining another roundtable. I didn't know it was a fraternal organization. I'm not a fraternity oh, kind of guy, but uh-huh. uh, I said I'd I'd give it a year, and um, I got caught up in the service aspect of it, particularly the uh, we call it the ROTC JROTC uh, recognition program. We give awards to cadets and university um, ROTC programs and high school JROTC programs every year. And, I can I'll talk about that a little bit later, maybe. Well, sure. Whether I'd like to hear, I would like to hear about that. Um, I don't mind if you'd like to talk about it now, if you'd like. Okay. Well, I can. There, there are a lot of things that the camp does. Um, again, we do Memorial Day celebrations uh, in local cemeteries. I did one on May 30th right here at Inglewood Cemetery. Um, our camp does one up in Altadena, a big cemetery up there called Mountain View. There's lots of Union graves here in Los Angeles. You'd be surprised. All people moved out here after the war. Long Beach is called Iowa of the West because so many guys hmm. from Iowa came out here. Wow. Uh, and we do graves registration. We go through cemeteries and find the graves of the Union guys, and there's a national registry of those graves. Uh, we preserve monuments. There's a lot of monuments and memorials out there uh, about the Civil War, so we work on those. We recognize Eagle Scouts with a certificate program. And the ROTC, JROTC program, like I said, we go out and give an award. It includes a medal and a certificate. And um, I've been in charge of that program for a few years now. This year we sent out 38 awards. I went to 12 ceremonies myself. Um, I get so much joy. It's a lot of work, but I get so much joy from it. Um, It's just amazing. I go to schools and, you know, some of the, most economically disadvantaged parts of town like Watts and uh, East L.A. At Garfield High School this year, their battalion commander was a young woman who's going to Harvard. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. <laughs> and and that's not yeah. uncommon. The stories of these kids who come from nothing, families that don't value education, they get into the JROTC program, which teaches them to be good citizens and to prepare themselves for being leaders in life. Uh, it's just amazing to see what they've done and where they're going. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's why I do the work. I, I love that, Dean. And maybe, and I know I dumped this a little over here, but Maybe what I can do is I'll, I'll 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 circle the wagon back, and I think that we we've talked about the sons of the Union veterans of the Civil War, but you are actually involved with a specific camp. You re, you referred to him earlier in the show, so let's talk about the name of Camp Number Two. What is the name of your camp? It's the General W. William W. for William S. for Stark Rose. Rosecrans. So William Stark Rosecrans was a Union general. We know he has a street named after him 
here in L.A., but most people don't know he was a Union general or, or what he did. That's why I do a, a talk about him, uh, and it's interesting how nobody knows about him. He owned about 16,000 acres, 25,000, I'm sorry, paid $16,000 for it, which is now the city of Gardena. And he died here in 1889, and it was the largest funeral in L.A. City's history. He was hugely popular, hugely respected across the country, but he's been forgotten by history because Grant was jealous of him, and Grant didn't write about him in his memoirs. He left him out completely. And so, uh, in fact, my talk tells you Rosecrans could have actually been the president of the United States, but that didn't happen. Isn't that fat? And you wouldn't have known any of this, right? I mean, this comes from nope. being actively nope. involved. And I, I'm, I, I could imagine, Dean, you know, I'm thinking about our boys or, and our girls, too. They all went to the same high school that I went to. You went to Washington. I went to Westchester. And I'm thinking, do you ever go and speak to any of those history classes or AP history classes about any of this? I would think you know, I've offered. I've I went to the grammar school here and asked to see the principal, and I never got a call back. I <clears> met <throat> with the principal at Westchester, and she was all excited. I never got a call from any of the history teachers. I went to oh, Horrible Wright. They got excited in the office. I never heard from anybody there. My neighbor uh, my, is an eighth-grade teacher at uh, a junior high. He did invite me. But the office didn't tell him I was there, so he didn't oh, bring goodness. his kids to the assembly. I did get to talk to him for a few minutes, but uh, it really didn't work out well. It's I I still have ambitions of doing that, but I haven't had much luck. It just, I don't understand it. And I talked to all of these guys in the JROTC. I said, I'm, I'll make the trip out here just to speak sure. to your kids for 15 or 20 minutes, I'll come in uniform, I'll bring my rifle, you know, we'll go through the whole thing. And well, I, I can't, I'm gonna, I guess they just don't I'm have the time. There. I'm going <laughs> to get out there because I'm connected like you are. And I think that what, what you're, I mean, just, I could, I could feel your pride in just your discussion about the JRO, JROTC. I could feel it. And I can feel your passion about why you think it's important. I don't hear you making judgments about the war. I hear you talking about what you've experienced based on your knowledge and information. And I I just think it's phenomenal. And I didn't know. I mean, I drive on Rosecrans all the time. I didn't know that was a general. I do now. But I wouldn't have known that if it weren't for you. Um, And I think it's pretty cool in that. You're not just like a member of this. I, I, I like the title that you have. What's the title that you have at Camp 2? I'm the camp commander. I'm in charge that's, of the whole thing. That's Now, does that, do you have, how does that organization work together? Are there, are there people below commanders that have job responsibilities? Yeah, there's a whole raft of uh, officers. Um, there's elected officers and appointed officers. Um, I am now the commander only because we had a two 
very poor commanders for a while. I did not want to be the commander. I was busy with the JROTC program. It takes two full months of my time to do that, and I didn't see doing that and the roundtable. Um, and the roundtable won't let me go, so I, I avoided being the commander until it looked like we were going to lose our national charter, which is a big deal. And I finally got a meeting to at least have an election. I didn't volunteer, but they elected me. Uh, luckily, I got some other officers, uh, other guys to step up and take some of the important offices like treasurer and secretary, junior vice commander, who's in charge of recruitment. I got some really good guys. And some of the men that I appointed um, to offices are doing way more than I expected. So the camp's on, on a good footing. We've taken in a couple of new members. They've been real active. We have over 40 members. We cover all of Los Angeles and Ventura counties, so we're spread out geographically. Only nine or ten come to a meeting. Most of them pay their dues just to support the organization. Uh, some of them are older and they can't drive. A lot of them, the guys in Ventura, it's too far to go. We meet up in Eagle Rock now. Um, so, you know, there's those problems, but right now uh, camp's going really well. And I've gotten a lot of uh, nice comments from the members and from the officers in our department levels because they were worried that our camp was going to fold. So, yeah, sure. that's how it happened. Again, it's a volunteer job. I don't get paid for it. Of course. And how often does, does do you meet in that organization? Uh, we meet uh, five times a year uh, only, so it's not a big burden, but uh, it also makes it hard to get a lot of things done because there's so much time between meetings. But right. Working okay. Does do the other members of um this camp are they also as um interested and involved in the JROTC as you are or is that something that you just took it upon yourself because it meant so much to you? Yeah, well that was something else I just stepped into, you know, the, I was brand new and the commander said, Hey, I need somebody to go to my alma mater, Washington. I came home and told Charlene I was going there and she said, You can't go there. <laughs> yeah, I can. And I had this life-affirming experience. I mean, it was unbelievable, life-changing in that I became more active and started taking on more responsibility. And then now I this year I had a record 12 uh, other brothers helped out. One of the sisters in our auxiliary went to three schools. Uh, so some are more involved. Some of the guys that are presenters for me don't come to meetings. This is the one thing that they do. Um, but again, if you go to one of these ceremonies, you can't help but walk away feeling better than you walked in. I mean, it's just what it is. Do those young people, because it's male and female, right? That This is not just um, yes. a male dominant, oh, yeah. correct? No, Do, in fact, the um, women dominate it. In, in terms of officers, most of the no kidding. Italian commanders now are, are young women. Yeah, well, they're smarter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God! You heard that. You heard that here first. Uh, do most of these young people that go on to college are they also members of the ROTC, and do they actually then seek 
military um, um, uh, fields as well? No, uh, most of them don't. Most of them go to college. Um, a few, you know, go into career, other kinds of careers, but only a few. And and a few do go into the military. Um, the commander at Southgate High School is a young woman who's going to San Luis Obispo to college to study uh, civic engineering, but she's also going to enlist in the National Guard. Um, her XO was a young woman, her best friend. She's going to San Luis Obispo also to study psychology. Um, uh-huh. Some of the kids do choose the military. Um, they can get educated there. They can pick up a career. It's a good good path for them. Yeah, I imagine so. so. I tell them now, see... if I were hiring, I tell them if I were hiring, if I was still working and hiring people and I had several that were all equal capable of doing the job, I'd pick the one that had been in JROTC because I know what their character is. Right. Oftentimes when I go to sporting events, and you and I know I go to a lot of sporting events, you will see JROTC folks um, at doing the flag ceremony. That that yes. seems like that's something yeah. that they frequently do, right? They do a ton of community service. I mean, that's one of the big things. They're, they're out every weekend in the community doing something. They put in smoke alarms in people's houses. They you know, I can't tell you all the stuff that they do, but it's it's amazing. Oh, I bet. I bet it. I bet it is. And how do their families react to this? Uh, well, most of them come from good families. That's like anything else. You know, it starts theirs. And I always thank the parents when I get a chance to talk to them for doing such a great job. And so do the instructors and the and the higher ups in the program. The principals of the school always thank the parents. So. Um, and they see where, what it's done for their kids. There's often siblings will go through the program after seeing their uh, older siblings go through it. Um, but a lot of the kids I was wondering that the program yeah. and and resent it for a while. This uh, hmm. one girl at Garfield years ago, you know, was forced and she became the battalion commander and just finished her PhD in psychology and came back to tell those kids, you can do this too. Wow, that's 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 um, of an influencer. I think that's that's pretty that's really pretty great. Let's mention um, at this point because I don't think we've done it yet. <clears throat> if people want to follow this organization, I'll go ahead and say it right now. They would go to the www as we all know. S-U-V-P-A-C dot org forward slash camp the numeric two dot H-T-M-L. And you don't have to remember all of that right now. Um, I will make sure that it's posted on there so that people, because it's like, oh, my God, I couldn't remember how to write all of that. But people can can clearly Google you as well. But I will make sure. I will make sure that um, that people know how to find you as as it applies to um, your camp. But much like the roundtable, um, people can learn about the Sons of the Union veterans. You, they also have a .org website where people can look from all over the country um, if they would like to be involved in this as well. Am I right about that, Dean? 
Yes, and they can find all okay. of that information on our website. If you just Google General W.S. Rosecrans Camp Number 2, it should come up. There's a membership yep. tab where you can go. You can go to the national website from there directly. Uh, there's a link to other organizations. You can see our calendar for the year and see the events that we're involved, involved in. So, um, yeah, that's that's, Same as the Civil War Roundtable. Well, so let's let's move over to the to the to the next yes. thing. Gosh, Dean, when do you have time to ride your bicycle? Okay, so let's talk about <laughs> really. I don't mean you have grandchildren. Um, let's talk about your Drum Barracks Civil War Museum, which you are also you're a board uh, you're on the board of directors there. You're there you're their secretary because you don't have enough to do. So for those people. I'd like you to share a little bit about what goes on there because you mentioned um, some reenactments um, along the way of this conversation. But let's let's hear a little bit about the history because were these actually um, barracks at one point where they're located? Yeah. In 1861 when the war broke out, uh, L.A. was really a Confederate hotbed. There was one U.S. soldier here named Captain Winfield Scott Hancock, who later became a general in the Civil War. He was the quartermaster. And the next closest Army troops were up at Fort Tejon, which is about 75 miles away. So when the war broke out, the Union sent 2,000 troops here. L.A. Was, had a population of about 4,000, the whole area. So 2,000 troops was something. And they were here to prevent an insurrection or to protect California's gold from being stolen by the Confederates. That gold paid for 25% of the war's costs. Um, so these guys were in a little tent camp down by uh, Biona Creek in what's now Culver City called Camp Latham, which was named after a governor of California who was actually a Confederate sympathizer. <laughs> Ironic, but... Mm. Anyway, uh, in 1862, um, they decided to build an actual training center and a supply depot down near the harbor in San Pedro in Wilmington. And the government was sold the land for a dollar by Phineas Banning, who was a big businessman in, uh, in shipping and freight. And he owned a lot of land down there. He owned Catalina Island um, by 1863, there were actually 22 permanent buildings on this site, and they trained 8,000 soldiers here over the course of the war. They actually occupied Catalina Island for a while to stop the Confederates from getting in there. Uh, and then it remained, after the war, it remained the headquarters of Southern California and Arizona Territory until 1871. Uh, in the buildings over time, you know, were torn down until in 1960s there was only one left. It's actually a junior officer's uh, quarters. It's kind of like a house. And uh, mm -hmm. some local people stopped it from being um, torn down. And in 1987 it was opened to the public as a museum. It's operated by the city of Los Angeles, but it's owned by the state of California. But all of the artifacts, all of the furnishings, all the costumes, all the uniforms, a library full of books, the gift store, all of that is owned and operated by what's called the Garrison and Society. And that's um, governed by this board of directors that I am a, per, a 
the secretary of. So we own all that stuff. It's all supported by membership dues and donations. Um, we support all the programs that go on there and all the events. The city just kind of pays for the maintenance of the building and um, some of the museum curatorial kind of work. But um, that's the history of it. Wow. Do do you have a lot of schools that um, use that location as a field as a field trip? Yeah, we do. I'm glad you mentioned that. The museum's open on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, but you have to be on a guided tour to go through it. It's free, but they ask for a $5 donation to help support it. Groups of more than six should probably make a reservation. You can learn about that by going to their website. Um, but um, then they also do annual events. Um that are great for the whole family. They they have a Civil War Christmas on the first weekend of December. There's horse-drawn carriage for free that'll take you down to the Banning House where Finnish, Phineas Banning lived. It's about two blocks from the drum barracks. Um, there's a Remembrance Day celebration with Lincoln. Lincoln comes there and makes his uh, Gettysburg address. They have free Halloween on candy. Uh, candy on Halloween, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> But the big event that's coming up is on Saturday, June 22nd, which is called the Civil War Technology Fair. And they're going to have people there showing how printing presses worked in the day, uh, reenactors that are involved in reconnaissance balloons, munitions making, telegraph, railroads, photography, blacksmithing, cavalry, and even the firing of a cannon. So it's it's a pretty Mm. exciting day. For the whole family, it's all free. You can go through the museum. There'll be docents in the room, so you don't have to go on a tour. Uh, The focus of the museum really is on youth and teaching the local history. The drum barracks is about, you know, L.A.'s part in the war, California's part in the war. Um, School groups can tour, just go on the tour anytime they make a reservation. But we have a living history program for groups of up to from 60 to 100 students. Those happen on a Friday when the museum is closed, and but that's between January and June. And we have reenactors like myself there. I play a Union soldier. I play my great-great-grandfather, and I talk to them about the day in the life of a soldier. We have a guy there showing them how the artillery worked. We have a nurse talking to them about um, medicine in the Civil War. They also take a tour of the museum and learn about all the stuff in there. Last year, or no, this year. This year we have 1,542 students uh, who came through this great program. So that's that's something many teachers that are listening, um, and you're, particularly if you're teaching, you know, the grades 5 and 8, I think, where the Civil War is taught. It's a, it's a great field trip. That's, that's really great. And and you know, I'll make sure that this information gets out. You know, and for the most part, you know, school's out now. We're we're, we're heading into summer vacation, but <clears throat> I'm really interested in your your fair that you're having um, the end of a week from this Saturday, Dean. And perhaps I can get that information and put it um, on my in my blog information so that people that visit my website will be able to read it. 
I wanted to let people know that this this website, Drum Barracks, and Barracks is spelled B-A-R-R-A-C-K-S dot org, can give you lots of information. I think it's really cool um, when when yourself and others dress in, in these reenactments because, frankly, you were a grown adult when some of this really resonated with you when you mentioned back in those days when you were going to Gettysburg. But but for young people to bring this this part this time of history alive visually, with you know obviously we didn't have this kind of technology when you and I were students, or even our kids for that matter to that degree. So for for young people to witness that, and and to recognize um, how it used to be a long long time ago before cell phones and you know, all the things that young people are familiar with and the technology and how do people stay in touch and and all of that is it's just I think it's fascinating truly. I I, I you know, you you're you're a volunteer in so many of these places. I, I'm sure you can't choose one that you like the best, but in this particular volunteer role position at the drum barracks, what what do you get out of it? What 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 resonates for you? Oh, it's just a joy of doing the reenactment for the kids. I go to a lot of other events where I'm not, you know, directly involved, but I go in my uniform with my rifle and I just talk to people, you know, that are there um, about whatever <laughs> they might be interested in. And uh, I was at a coin show last week in Long Beach and there was a Civil Warrior book there and I got talking to this couple about the war and I got all wound up and... <laughs> And finally, I had to let them go. <laughs> <It's> my nature. <laughs> well, I, you know what? But I would, <clears throat> I would say, well, okay, it's your nature. I would say that's my nature too. But it is a passion. It, it, it is clearly anyone that's listening. You can't be as actively involved as you are in three different organizations without having a real desire. You don't want to see some of you don't want to see your round table fold. You are you the youngest one at the round table? I don't know. Perhaps, right? No. No, fortunately we do have younger people, but these Good. all these organizations age uh mm-hmm. and people young people don't seem as interested in our history. They're too busy looking at their stupid phones and to be tapping them with their thumbs. Uh they don't read newspapers anymore. I mean, there's a lot of things that sadden me about where our society is going, but um, maybe maybe the pendulum will swing back. You know, I found it compelling. I mean, the, the stories about the war are amazing, uh, and, and I have friends who are into World War II. I have friends that are into other wars, but same kind of passion. Mm-hmm. That, that I and, think it's uh, terrific, Dean. I, uh, I I can see what yeah. Go ahead. I, I mean, I, like I started with, yeah, I went, like I started, I, I seem to have just gotten into service. I and probably learned that from my dad because he was a similar kind of guy. And um, and learning. I mean, you know, I'm learning all the time. There's nothing better in life <laughs> than learning new stuff. I mean, that's how you stay young and riding a bicycle 400 miles a week. No, not Yes, because... Well, okay. 
But, you know, I, I, if, if people are out there thinking, oh, my God, is this all this guy does? And the answer is, well, as a matter of fact, no, it isn't all that he does. And you, you are an avid bicycle rider. Do you really put in just about 200 miles a week, Dean, typically? Well, if I ride the days, I should be riding. But that, I have more excuses than rides lately. Grandkids and, and all of these organizations get in the way. Um, I did race for a number of years, starting when I was 42 up until my mid-50s. Uh, but uh, I got over that. <laughs> And now I can't keep up. I'm old, fat, tired, and slow. Oh, please. Let me tell all of you that are listening, there's nothing fat about Dean Smith, just so you know. He is a <laughs> lean, mean fighting machine. No pun intended, Dean. That is that I, I know your wife's an excellent baker, but you are still a lean man. And is there some place that you have not visited yet in relationship to all that you're involved in that you that's on like a bucket list, like I've got to get there? Is there a place you haven't been? Oh, yeah. There's, there's a whole world out there. But, and not all of it, you know, in, involves the Civil War. Um, I'm really interested in the Native Americans when the kids were little. I'd say, where do you want to go to vacation? they go, not the Indians, Dad, not the Indians. And we haven't been back since they were kids. So there's Chaco Canyon and New Mexico and Mesa Verde and Colorado places I want to go. I just can't get Charlene to say, okay. And well, cause, we, did, yeah. we did Italy last year and we took the family to Yellowstone for our 50th anniversary two years ago. So family's important, takes a lot of time and brings a lot of joy. You bet. How many grandchildren do you have? Just three. Just three. Three wonderful okay. kids. That's, yeah. There you go. Three is enough. Uh, three, is, three is fine. Three is company. Oh, that was two is company. Yeah. But I, yeah. I think that, you know, what I think you've inspired people to think about, Dean, is history. And everybody comes to it their own way. I know you probably watch a lot of programs that come on public broadcasting. You probably read, like you mentioned before, a lot of books about this. But uh, if you wanted to just say something to encourage others, what would you say as far as joining something like this? What, what, would, your, what would your message be to that listener? Well, you get out of it what you put into it. Um, although, like I said, some of the guys and the sons are happy just paying their dues and helping support the organization. But you really want to get something out of it. You do something like the go to one of those JROTC award ceremonies. If you're at the drum barracks, you can volunteer to be a docent. You go through training, and then you can lead the tours, or you can be involved in the events, or there's other things. The round table, you can go and be a spectator, or you can get interested enough to do some research and do a, a talk. This year, we had a guy do a talk on getting gravestones for two of his great-great-uncles that were killed in the war but never found. And so he had government headstones put in next to their two brothers that died, that survived the war back in, in a cemetery in Kentucky. It was a fantastic presentation, very interesting. So, you know, he got involved, and he got a lot out of it. Now he's going to do another presentation. He got hooked. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, it's it's meaningful, and particularly when you're talking about your own lineage, you know, and if you have family and 
and grandchildren and you and you want that information to continue. I could see where it would be very motivating for people that would like that maybe just honestly they just didn't know. And with all of these ancestry things and all of the all of the technology that we have today and learning about our our families, you know, this is a way that maybe somebody has been saying, you know, they're retired and they've they've always sort of enjoyed history, but they never really thought about how it could apply to them. I mean, you didn't really know that your I just think it's ironic that your grandpa's name was George Washington and his wife's name was Martha Washington, not to be confused, but you know, there there no, were more than two names around in those days. <clears throat> no. Uh Two other guys inducted into the camp the same day I was. Both had ancestors named George Washington something. So it was a very common name back there, I guess. Oh, I back see. Then. Well, I just know that I've 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 spent an hour learning about you, Dean. Things that I didn't know, and we, like I said, you know, we we have the YMCA we have in connection. We have. Our children and our your your obviously your wife and I have been very good friends for a million years, and this has just been a side of Dean Smith that I just wasn't really aware of. And I want to thank you for spending the time to share your life stories with my listeners. It's it's really been delightful, Dean. Truly, I've really appreciated it. I hope they're still awake. I didn't bore them to sleep. No. <laughs> No, there's one over there. (laughs) There's one over there that still has their eyes. They're blinking. No, it has not been boring one bit. It's been absolutely fascinating, and I, I really do want to thank you so very much for, for spending that hour with me today. And I'll make sure that for people that didn't listen to the show live, that they will be able to come back and, and hear the archive link later this afternoon. So to all of you out there that. Wherever you are in the country, I hope that you have a lovely week. And as you look at your calendar, you will see that I believe at the end of this week on Friday the 14th is Flag Day. And perhaps that will take on a different meaning to you today after listening to to Dean's story. So thanks, Dean. I, I, I look forward to seeing you in the neighborhood. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Marsha.